Open your Bible, if you will, please, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 4. I'm just radical enough to have brought an actual bound Bible today. I think sometimes when we use our phones for our Bibles, that we get distracted and we get texts and we get Facebook messages. And I'd really love it if we could start bringing our actual Bibles to church and start opening them up. Call me old-fashioned. Open your Bible up to Hebrews chapter 4. Have you ever met a person of great faith, unbelievable God-sized faith? They walk around with their head in the clouds just believing God for everything. People that will jump in. You talk about faith as big as a mustard seed. I'm talking about people that have faith as big as a mountain. They just believe God in every aspect of life. And we want to mess it up for them, right? We want to say, haven't you considered this? Haven't you considered if you lost your job? Haven't you considered not having any security? How do you walk around with that great faith? But think about that person of great faith. And I'm here to tell you this morning that God wants that to be you. Not your kids, not your pastor, not the missionaries, you. God wants you to have an unbelievable, God-sized, world-changing faith. And the story of the Bible, the Old Testament and the New, really is a story about God trying to establish an amazing faith and trust in His people. He wants us to trust Him. If you think about the, even the Garden of Eden, when the first sin happened, well, really the second sin, there was Satan's sin, but when the, when the original sin, Adam and Eve's sin, happened, it was more than just disobedience. It was really a lack of trust and a lack of faith. They didn't believe that God was enough, that the rest of the fruit of the garden was enough. They said, there must be something else out there. There must be something you're not telling me. There must be more. I don't trust you. And the relationship was broken. And since then, in the Old and New Testament, God has been on a quest to reestablish the trust that was broken in the garden, to reestablish that faith and trust with His people. In the Old Testament, when God launched the nation of Israel, His goal was to show how incredible a nation, a people could be, who, whose king was their God and who trusted in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's why when he, when he rescued them from Egypt, he didn't just immediately give them the Ten Commandments and said, you follow two, three, seven, and ten, and I'll take you to heaven when you die. No. He rescued them from, the, from Egypt. He placed them in the middle of the desert. He put them there and he said, trust me. Trust me that I'm enough. Trust me that I'll provide for you. Yeah, later on he gave them some rules and regulations to live their life in a better way. And he does that for us today. But he's saying, trust me. That's why we shouldn't be surprised that when Jesus shows up in the New Testament, he didn't just walk up and say, here's a new Ten Commandments. Now you do three, seven, and ten, and you'll go to heaven when you die. No, he came and he said, You've, you believe in the Father, believe also in me. I'm here to reestablish trust. That's why we say, that's why preachers say, put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Because the relationship that was broken can only be reestablished when we place our faith and trust in Jesus. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 in King James, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, 
the evidence of things unseen. And then later in verse 6, it says, For without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith, hope, and love are three of the most dynamic teachings in the entire scripture. Just check 1 Corinthians chapter 12 at the end of the chapter. Faith. God wants to establish a God-sized faith in you. So think about that person that you thought of when we first started that has amazing faith. God wants that to be you. This message is not for the person sitting next to you. This message is not for your kids. This message is for you. If you've been saved, if you've been in Christ one day, or if you've been saved for 50 years, God wants you to hear this message this morning. Take out your worship guides, if you will, and if you don't have a pen, raise your hand, because I want to give you five things that God wants to use to blow up a really big faith. And we've got some people that are going to give you a pen right now. So take out your worship guide and let's get started together. Father God, thank you so much for your word. God, I believe this morning that you have a message for your people. I pray that you would empty my heart of any pride, any selfish motivation, any sin. Lord, we pour it out before you. As Hannah said this morning, I'm really sensing a sense of resistance this morning, and God, I pray that you'd kill that in the name of Jesus. I pray that people would be here, that you've called to be here and to listen today. In Jesus' name, amen. Number one, practical Bible teaching. Practical Bible teaching. Every time you hear the story of a person that has amazing God-sized faith, the story of, that they would tell you usually begins with something like, then I started going to this church that, teach the, that taught the word. Then I started sitting under this preacher. Then I started going to this student group. Then I started going to this youth group. Then someone invited me to do this Bible study. Every time you hear the story of someone that has amazing faith, you find out that somewhere along the way, they got under some practical Bible teaching. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17 says this, Now faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And when we hear the word of God, the it has power, right? It has power to change our lives. Faith comes by hearing the word of God in a practical way. Now I'm not talking about practical teaching that's not biblical because if we teach people to balance their checkbooks teach people to dance teach people to do all sorts of great practical things and it's not bathed in the inerrant infallible holy word of god at the end of the day it's pointless what would it profit a man to gain the whole world yet lose his soul and i also don't mean bible teaching that's not practical because if we're just Focusing on pious platitudes and reading versions of the Bible that we can't understand and just teaching in an impractical way, it's not going to hit the heart. I'm talking about practical Bible teaching. Hebrews chapter 4, you've opened it up. Turn to verse 12 in your scripture. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. If you don't have this circled in your Bible, I want you to place a big circle on it with an actual pen. 
Circle the verse. The word of God is alive. What other book are you reading that claims to be alive, that the Holy Spirit lives in? John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And later in the chapter, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Ladies and gentlemen, this word is part of God. This is his word. The word of God is active and alive and sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates and it divides even the soul and spirit. And when you hear it taught, God uses it to grow your faith. How many of you guys know that the four elders of this church, every Sunday morning and every Wednesday night, are on this front hall teaching the word of God to our people? Ben, how many people were in there this morning? Five. Five. At nine o'clock, church, the elders of this church are teaching the word of God. If you're only in one hour a week of practical Bible teaching, how can your faith be growing? Number one, God uses practical Bible teaching. Number two, Positive relationships. Please write it down. Positive relationships. Every time you hear the faith story of somebody with big, huge, God-sized faith, the story usually has, then I met this friend. Then we started hanging around with this couple. Then my boss comes up to me and he wants to establish this accountability relationship with me. Positive relationships. The Lord uses positive relationships in our life to begin to grow our faith. One of the biggest things that God uses to grow our faith is people. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20 says, Keep company with the wise, and you will become wise. One of the most famous Proverbs, Proverbs 27, 17, says, Just as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens the countenance of another. I'm here today to tell you, if you align yourself, students, listen, if you align yourself with godly friendships and godly relationships, that will help you draw closer and God will build your faith. Young adults, if you align yourself with friends that are in sin, you will be drugged down to sin and start on the wrong road. Listen to me. God wants to use positive relationships to build your faith. Some of you this morning have got to get out of some negative relationships you're in. Number two, God uses positive relationships. Number three, private disciplines. Every time you hear the story of a person that has God-sized faith, you hear them tell this. God started to develop some disciplines in my life. Like personal Bible study. A teaching that I heard intrigued me. And I was driven by the Holy Spirit to start going into the Word for myself. And through that, God started really building my faith. My church did a fast. My church did this Daniel fast. And I was intrigued by it. And so I started fasting on my own. And through that, I started seeing some prayers answered. And God used that private discipline to build my faith, my personal faith. I decided to trust God with the first fruits of my income. 
I decided to trust God and start tithing. And when I started casting that bread out on the water, the Lord started bringing in more than I could give, and I started giving more, and He started giving back. You hear these stories. It's the private discipline of tithing that built my faith, people say. But personal disciplines are a lot different than public disciplines. Let me just say, I'm talking about personal disciplines. You guys know what I've always used as the definition of character? Your character, your Christian character, is what you do when no one's watching. Your character is what you do when it's only you and God. That's the true measure of a man. I'm talking about private disciplines. Matthew, turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is teaching. And when you see the words that are there in red, take notice. When Jesus teaches, there's power. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 and 6, Jesus is talking about private disciplines when he says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corners to be seen by others. The same goes for fasting. The same goes for tithing. The same goes for any kind of private discipline. Jesus is teaching here about private relationship, about your character. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. The greatest reward they're going to get is just the reward here on earth. Verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. You can't fake prayer. You can fake public prayer. You can't fake private prayer. You're not going to trick God. If you're alone in your room talking to an unseen God, in a, God honors that faith. Because it's embarrassing, right? It actually is counterintuitive to think that just talking in an open room is going to change history. But more than just answering your prayers, because later in Matthew, God says he knows exactly what you need before you ask. But more than just answering your prayer, God's honoring your obedience. Because he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all of these things will be added unto you as well. But he's talking about private disciplines. Many people come up to me and, say, and says this. When the Lord starts growing me, I'll start tithing. When the Lord starts growing me, I'll start praying. When the Lord starts growing me, I'll start fasting. When the Lord does a work in my life, I'll start to show some of these private disciplines. But I'm here to tell you this morning that we've got that backwards. We need to start developing some of these private disciplines, and the Lord will use them to grow our faith. When you look back at periods in your life where you've really grown, what was it that grew? It wasn't your physical stature. When we say, I really grew during those three years, it's your faith. It's your faith that grows because the more you believe, the more you're going to obey. And the more you obey, the more God honors it. And the more God honors it, the more faith you have because you see the results and you see the fruit. But we have to take the first step. That's why faith takes a step. Sometimes it takes a step. Number three, God wants to develop private disciplines. Number four is personal ministry. Write it down. Number four is personal ministry. Every time you hear the story of a person that has a big, huge, God-sized faith, the story usually includes something like, and then they asked me to teach. 
And then they asked me to lead a small group. And then they asked me to go on a missions trip. Then they asked me to disciple a student. Then they asked me to serve in the homeless ministry. Then they asked me to be an elder at the church. Then they asked me to be a pastor. Then God called me to the missions field. You always hear God calling people into personal ministry when you have a story of huge faith. I can tell you there's been nothing in my life personally that has ever grown my faith anywhere close to times when God has called me into personal ministry. I've never learned more than when I'm preparing to teach someone else. I've never been closer to God when I had to re- than when I had to rely on Him 100% for my income the next month. There's never been a time where I've been closer to the Lord and had my faith grown more than in personal ministry. I'm reminded of the account of Gideon in Judges chapter 6. You guys remember in Judges chapter 6 the story of Gideon? Israel was under a captivity and Gideon was of the tribe of Manasseh and he was threshing wheat, whatever that means. uh, Brother Leon could probably tell you what threshing wheat is. But he's in a wine press which means he's hiding because he doesn't want anybody to see him and he's down there threshing wheat because they need it to eat but he doesn't want anybody to see him. And the Bible says this, in Judges chapter 6, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Orpah that belonged to Joash, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. At that moment, when the angel of the Lord called Gideon a mighty warrior, he literally looked behind him. Like, you couldn't have been talking to me. He says to the angel of God, my tribe is the weakest in all of Israel, and my family is the weakest in the entire clan, and you just called me a mighty warrior? But God said to him, go in the strength I've already given you, which is going to require what? And you will be the hero, and God will get the glory. And and we find, if we read the rest of Judges chapter 6, that Gideon does go and there is success. But the point I want you to realize, it's not just a Facebook quote. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. God is not going to wait until you're qualified for personal ministry before he calls you. He's going to call you to step out of the boat. And once you step out in faith, then he'll qualify you. Do you th- what do you think qualifies me to stand here? The only difference between sitting right there and standing right here is a step of faith. The only thing that qualifies me to be here is the shed blood of Christ and a call on my life. And I'm telling you that God will call you into personal ministry. And when you accept the call, even if it's just witnessing at your workplace, when you accept the call, he'll use it to grow your faith. When you get into personal ministry, and this happened to me, You'll be scared. Sometimes you'll be scared to death. Sometimes as you sit before the first time teaching a kid's class or the first time sharing your personal faith or the first time standing on a platform and preaching or the first time going on a mission trip or the first time doing anything with personal ministry, sometimes you'll, right before that moment you'll be scared to death. But you know what happens when you're scared to death? You begin to pray in your own words. Listen, 
You begin to pray in your own words. Not Keith's words. Not my words. Students, not your parents' words. You begin to pray in your own words and develop your own personal relationship with Christ where you're crying out to Him and He's answering you. That is where your faith grows. It's in those moments of that personal ministry with God that He can grow your faith. And that's where He wants you. He wants you to trust Him. Number five. Pivotal circumstances. Pivotal circumstances. Every time, just about every time you hear the story of a person who walks through life with unbelievable, God-sized, mountain-moving faith, the story usually includes something like this. Then a family member died. Then I got a divorce. Then we lost our child. Then a child was born with special needs into my family. Then the business that God started me, told me to start, failed. Then the ministry that God called me to didn't work like I thought it would. You just come to a moment in your Christian life where you're trying to hear from God but things could just kind of go either way. you got to make a decision. You're at a pivotal circumstance. You've just reached a moment where you either got to step or step back. See, God uses pivotal circumstances to grow our faith in a mighty, mighty way. You know what happened for Peter? If you remember in Matthew chapter 14... There's an amazing story there where Jesus had just finished feeding 5,000 people, and that's just men. Peter and the other disciples had just witnessed one of the most amazing miracles in the career of Jesus. And not only was it an amazing miracle, but it showed his heart and his love because the people had been following him all day, and they were hungry. And he finds a boy with five loaves, two, two loaves and five fish, or five, five loaves and two fish, and he takes them, and he miraculously feeds all 5,000 people in an act of love. After that story goes on, Jesus says, I need to go pray. I want you guys to go out on the water on this boat. And a huge storm comes up. A few minutes later, Jesus, the same one who had just proved to the disciples that he has power and that he has love, comes walking out on the water, and the disciples are scared to death. Jesus, recognizing, uh, Peter, recognizing that it's Jesus, Jesus says, come to me, and Peter does what? He steps out of the boat. It became a pivotal circumstance where although the wind and the rain and the darkness, he knew enough about the character of Jesus, and he trusted Jesus enough to step out of the boat. You know, trust is the keystone of any functioning relationship. Trust is the keystone of any functioning relationship. Yeah, my parents aren't here. They're three hours late, but you know what? I know that they love me, and I trust them, and I trust that there must be a problem because of the kind of relationship that I know we have. Yeah, my spouse is nine hours late, and they haven't called me, but I love them and trust them, and I know what they're up to, and I know there must be a problem. You see how trust is the keystone of any successful relationship? 
I believe and I trust in my God and he wrote me a note that he was coming back for me and that he has a plan and a purpose for my life and I can't feel him right now and I've lost my job and my child has been born with special needs and I've lost my husband, I've lost my wife and I don't know what to do right now but he wrote me a note and I trust him and I believe him and I know that what he says is true. Trust is the keystone of any positive relationship. But we come to these pivotal circumstances. And I think in the story of Peter, what's amazing is we get, he gets this rapid that it's this little tugboat. And that all he did was just step out onto the water. Guys, there was at least 12 other grown men in this boat. And there was a storm. And if you've ever been over to the Holy Land, the Sea of Galilee is not a small body of water. And that thing was rocking. And there were waves. And it was probably 12 feet off. And he had to jump out of the boat. And his feet hit that water, and he ran to Jesus. And I think some of us today are comfortable in the boat. And we are reaching a pivotal circumstance where we got to make a decision if we're going to step out or not. So Jesus, Peter starts running to Jesus, and he takes his eyes off of him, and he sinks. And I think we do that. Sometimes three years ago, 20 years ago, some of us stepped out of the boat. But now we've become comfortable again. Now, I don't know how it's happened, but now we've stepped out of the boat and we've started running to Jesus, but now we've become comfortable again and we need to call out to him again. Some of us, he's calling to step out again because we've come, become way, way too comfortable. So Jesus uses pivotal circumstances. Christ Community Church, you can sense some emotion in my voice, but I am here this morning to implore you to beg you on the power of the Holy Scriptures that we have reached this spiritual plateau where we have gotten comfortable and we feel we've reached it, but God's calling us to step out of the boat again. He wants to build our faith, but we can't do it comfortably. He will use pivotal circumstances to call you higher in Christ and to build your faith. Right now, I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up here. This is probably by far my favorite song because it teaches us this. He calls us out on the water. And that's not for me. It's not for Keith. It's not for the person next to you. It's for you. Some of you in here, your faith is not growing because the only teaching you're getting is on Sunday morning for an hour right here. If that's you and you want to change that pattern and you want your faith to grow, I'm going to invite you to come pray this morning. I'm going to, this altar is open and I want you to come pray. Some of us here today are not praying and we're not fasting and we're not tithing and our faith is not growing and we need to develop some private disciplines. Some of us, the only disciplines that we have are the disciplines that we exhibit here on Sunday morning, but it's not our character. When no one's watching, we're not doing it. When Hannah sings, I want to invite you to come and pray. Some of you this morning, the Lord is calling into personal ministry. He wants you to take a step in a new way, to teach a small group, to go help in the student ministry, to help with the children's ministry, to go into full-time service. This Sunday, three years ago, was the Sunday that Charity and I were commissioned to go to Mexico. This Sunday, one year ago, was the Sunday that Adam and Melissa were commissioned to go to Mexico. Maybe, just maybe, this Sunday, the Lord is calling one of you into a personal ministry. If he is, I want you to come and pray. And finally, if there's somebody here within the sound of my voice 
maybe many. And you're in the middle of a pivotal circumstance and God is calling you to step out of the boat. I want you to come and pray when Hannah sings. Maybe you've stepped out of the boat. Maybe you said, I already did that. I checked that box. I stepped out three, five, 15. I stepped out 20 years ago. Have you gotten comfortable? Is God calling you to step out again? That's the word that the Lord's given me this morning. If he's calling you to come as the band plays, you come.